Quality and craftsmanship can be defined not only by the outcome of a product, but by the passion with which it is created. Teetering on the edge of a fully automated existence, those who carry with them a devotion to the intricacies of their craft may be our saving grace. Robert Grimm embodies this ethos. With morally sound evolution as his driving force, he has helped create some of the most powerfully local beers to grace the state of Vermont and father a program of production which aims to bolster local economy through the product with which they create. Today on Cocina Pirata Podcast, Robert joins me to discuss the art of building a business with community as your compass and how a dedication to locality can uplift an industry. Contra la muerte, nosotros demandamos vida. Contra el silencio, exigimos la palabra y el respeto. Contra el olvido, la memoria. Contra la humillación y el desprecio, la dignidad. Contra la opresión, la rebeldía. Contra la esclavitud, la libertad. Contra la imposición, la democracia. Y contra el crimen, la justicia. Cheers. We're in. We're live. Cheers, man. <clears throat> it's been a while. You're right on time, like usual. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Perfect. I mean, an hour late. Yeah. It's, an uh, hour late is pretty fucking good, actually. Yeah, yeah that's you, on man. time for me. It's early. <laughs> Word up. While we're here in fucking Burlington in the goddamn snow. And um, yeah, man. Uh, I, I definitely want to cue people in a little bit on your story. I've heard it a bunch of times because I ask you all the time, but <clears throat> you're originally from Connecticut and then moved to New York and then to Vermont. So how did the beer thing start for you really? And it, I, I guess more, this is for you to clarify for me because you've definitely told me, but it's cooler to have it in this setting. Like you were in school for food microbiology is that correct? food science but i gotta correct you right now i'm not from connecticut <laughs> my parents are from connecticut okay um connecticut blood maybe. yeah well i guess so <laughs> um yeah my both of my parents are from connecticut and i was born in upstate new york central new york area carthage um and i lived in new york with my family for like a month and then moved to vermont so i'm technically not from vermont but i mean it's as close as you can get uh and yeah, I went to college in New York as well. Went to uh, SUNY Plattsburgh um, State University for food science, human nutrition. Um, started out doing biochemistry for two years and I, I got sick of the labs. So I switched over to uh, the food science program. And then I realized that it's all the same labs. So I uh, just continued that on and yeah, graduated with a uh, bachelor's degree in food science, human nutrition, uh, minor in chem and psychology. What made you interested in food science in general? Just uh, well, eating food? <laughs> just eating food. Uh, I mean, I'm very interested in eating food. But um, I guess what made me interested in that was I ran uh, track and cross country in high school and college. So I was collegiately you know, running for the school. And there's a big part of uh, nutrition involved in that. And you know, performing at your peak, you have to make sure that there's a lot of things in line with that. So I think that was where I originally was interested in going with that. And uh, I realized pretty quickly that the program I was in was directing people into dietetics. So working as a you know dietitian in a hospital. And the more I learned, unfortunately, that happened, I think, my senior year of college um, when we started like going to the hospital and doing stuff. I, I remember exactly actually where I decided 
I do not want to fucking do this. Um, we had to go to a dialysis lab and I don't like blood very much specifically, you know, the bloodletting process of, you know, yeah, pulling, shit, pulling dude. samples, all that stuff. So I spent the entire day there with, uh, with some of my classmates and I was like, man, I do not want to fucking be in this environment. And, um, it happened to coincide with, uh, my father getting like a homebrew kit, uh, for father's day or something. <clears throat> and I did that brew with him and, uh, I was like, man, this is pretty fucking cool. And I can apply some of the stuff that I've been learning in college. A lot of this stuff, you know, on a surface level at a homebrew level. Um, and I realized like that might be an opportunity. And I mean, it seems kind of crazy because, you know, that was like whatever, uh, 13 years ago or something at this point. Um, but there just wasn't a lot of opportunity in like the beer world to get your foot in the door and especially not where I was at least. And, uh, so I kind of had to work toward that. I mean, obviously over time, over like a handful of months, I realized I don't want to do the dietitian stuff and I'm kind of into this brewing thing. Um, so it kind of evolved naturally, but that's where it all started, I guess, was the uh, distaste for the program, <laughs> academic <laughs> program, and uh, or at least the direction post, you know, post-college, I guess. Um, and yeah, just the creative aspect of brewing. I guess that's kind of how it happens in general at that age, though. Like you just fucking take a bunch of stabs at things and like see if it totally. works. And it's kind of cool that you like stumbled into something that has absolutely nothing to do with athletics from being an athlete, but still... To some, like in my mind, <clears throat> even cooking is an ath is athletic. You right. know, brewing well, is athletic <clears throat> to some extent, right? Yeah, I mean, I think it's like anything. It depends on what you pull away from it, right? It's like I think I actually think there's a lot of layover with um, you know running in, in particular and and brewing or cooking, which are also very similar in a lot of ways. Um, I think. You know, one of the things that I say kind of regularly is something that my coach in college said, John Lynch, um, he always would say, control the controllables. And that, you know, what does that mean? To me, that means like, do what you can to make the process um, as smooth as it can be. Worry about the stuff that you can control, but there's going to be things that happen that you just can't really do anything about, like external factors. Um and so, like, that's one aspect of the, the running program that I was in that I kind of carried over to other, you know, brewing or whatever else it is in my life. But, um, I mean, there's a lot of, like, process stuff. You have to follow a schedule. You have to follow um, a, you know, like a program, like a training plan. And, like, there's a lot of crossover with that and, and like, process stuff in brewing, at least. I think that first thing you said is probably the thing – I've never heard anybody say it like that, say that, break that down specifically the way you did, but it's almost, sub, sub, it's almost subconscious for anyone that really cares about what they're doing to operate that way. Yeah, totally. And do you like, is that shit you tell yourself on a daily basis? Cause I, this is like a, <clears throat> this is an interesting thing, an interesting thought that I always have. I always, I always think like, am I thinking about what I'm, what I'm doing or is it just so fucking ingrained and like, where did it become ingrained? And like, how does it can, I mean, we were having conversation, a conversation before this, just about how in the work environment, oftentimes you find people that just 
you present something and to you it's easy and it's like something that fire, like it's all fucking, you know, broken down into pieces in your mind. And I think there's people that just don't get it. Mm -hmm. Is it something you like, do you think that you remind yourself that every day or like you work on that every day or you even think about it or it just happens? Um, I mean, I guess a little bit of all of that. And that's a I, broad spectrum yeah, question. I mean, like I, I think about that. I think, like I said, I, you know, I say it semi-regularly, the control of the controllables, but I think the only reason I've been saying that more lately is um, because of some of the licensing application process stuff that we're, we've been going through with uh, Tonic. Yeah, um, which is a whole nother conversation. But um, so, I mean, I guess uh, like my perspective is a little bit different probably because, you know, I was one of the people that started a business and um, have grown the business. So like there's other things outside of like specifically going to work and making work, making beer. Um, so there's a lot of other factors involved that I pull previous experiences from and apply them to that. Um, and I just have a lot of interests. Like I have a lot of hobbies, I guess you could say, uh, <laughs> Ali, my girlfriend would say that I have too many. And, uh, <laughs> um, so like, I think that's another thing that, uh, you know, like I can take pieces of something and put it in this bucket. And, and to me it's relevant and, and, uh, I can use that to maybe have like a, a different perspective on something. Yeah. Um, but it really depends. I think there's like all sorts of ways of doing things and, um, you, it doesn't have to be that way. There's plenty of really creative people out there in the brewing world that, uh, are just hyper-focused on, on the one thing, which is brewing. Yeah. Do you think that like when you, when you got into, <clears throat> most of my questions are, 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 I, I hate to like focus solely on brewing because I don't think that like I'm your homie and I don't think that that's who you are. Like, yeah. I don't, but, but like the way I want to, the way I, the conversation that I'm interested in having at least is about like, you know, your, I watch you work and I see how dedicated you are to work itself and like how much, I don't think it matters what you're doing, but you kind of like just fucking push yourself into whatever you're doing. So when you started down this path of like moving from whatever the fuck it was you were doing and then you saw blood and you got scared, <laughs> I'm on the same boat. I fucking <laughs> yeah. hate that shit. Well, but like, I mean, let, I didn't get scared. No, I, nothing scares me, Travis. Come on. <laughs> I would, dude. I would fucking walk straight out of there. Yeah, I have no problem. Like, I don't want to be around this every day. Like it's depressing, honestly. Like, I, I don't know. It wasn't for me. It's. Uh, it also isn't that interesting to me, you know, it's like, I don't know. It, it, it's kind of, uh, I'm sure that there's people that make it very interesting or are very interested in the, in human nutrition, but I don't know. It, it just mm. seemed like I was, it wasn't for me. I yeah, guess. yeah. So, <clears throat> so I guess like that's, that kind of plays into perfectly what I was like, the, what I was like, like ruminating on is <clears throat> when you got, when you like made this decision to do this new thing, was it like, like all in and you made an agreement with yourself that you were going to like fucking do the, the whatever bullshit people want to say about 10,000 hours or like, mm -hmm. is that the way you thought about it? Or was it just like, I'm going to fucking shoot the shot at this thing and see how it goes. Or was it because I've had, because I've had both things in my life. I've had things that I've done where I've been like, let me just fucking tinker around. I like it. And then there's certain things that I'm like, yeah, I, I have to go like, you know, you were a runner, like I want to run the fastest fucking mile. Mm -hmm. Is that like what your mentality was when you yeah. got into this project? Yeah. I mean, no, I think that's a good question. Cause, um, 
especially at the time uh, when I was about to graduate college, I thought that I needed to go all in for something to happen. Like I didn't think that I could have like different focus points and I wasn't very good at um, like segmenting things. I, you know, I, it was like in college, you know, unfortunately probably for my academic uh, (laughs) studies, I guess um, I was really focused on the running aspect of what I was doing there, like track and cross country. And uh, I like, put a lot of energy and time into that. So like, you know, learning about training programs and, um, the nutrition aspect of it and, uh, the physiology of running, all of that stuff. I just, I like really poured my heart and soul into that. And, um, and I, I actually, (laughs) I, I had a very distinct moment where I thought about what I wanted to do. I was really interested in brewing I became more and more interested, which I'll talk about, uh, and kind of the path, I guess, that I took. But, um, I did know there was absolutely a moment where I, where I thought I need to put all of my energy and focus into doing this to make it happen. Cause I want to do it. And since that time, I've realized that I can have more than one focal point in my life and I can have, I could, I just, I've gotten better at managing my time, I guess. Um, as I, as I'm like chronically late to everything. Um, but I don't mean time in the sense of, uh, like, you know, what I'm doing day to day, I guess I mean like the space in my mind to be able to kind of manage that stuff, like compartmentalize things and dedicate amounts of time to each individual thing and just not just be like singularly focused on one thing. I think that like, you know, I guess I think that, um, variety in life is, you know, classic cliche thing, spice of life. Yeah. Um, but the spice of life. that is, uh, yeah, that's, that is absolutely, that was my mindset was like going all in. Yeah. Um, but I, I guess like not like just to, to like interject a, a little bit to like, go, like it, it did take at least from my understanding, like my dedication in cooking, for example, it took that in the beginning, it took that like self abuse to get like, mm-hmm ironclad before I could start to step outside and think of other things. And like, I, in the same sense can be late and like other things, like when it comes to making food or like putting food out the way it's supposed to go out or like do that, like I can hyper-focus on that. And when I step Mm -hmm. and I did the same thing, I'm like, I got to start thinking about other types of shit I got to do. Everything else I fucking suck at. I want to do it. And I'm starting to try to put those pieces together. But I definitely think it took like, maybe because you're so comfortable with brewing now and because you put that that energy into it in the beginning, now you've reached a place where you can start to think about Well, first things. of all, I don't think that you uh, suck at everything else. You're talented <laughs> in lots of different things. But um, I think that uh, I think the just like I'm assuming cooking and food is, um, I know it is, you have to know and understand the fundamentals. Those are the building blocks to be able to get creative and problem solve. Um, and I guess that's kind of where I focus my energy on like everything beer, you know, like from the ground level up. And I met people along the way that were extremely influential and helped me kind of, um, kind of put all that information in the bank. And because of that, I think those fundamentals you can apply to a lot of different things. Just like I said, running, you know, um, there's certain aspects of pretty much everything in life that if you understand like the very, very basic fundamentals of one thing, it can really apply to a lot of different things that you're doing. And so because of that, 
you can start like that's the foundation, you know, and then you could start building like the, you know, the house, the, the build, whatever it is, skyscraper if you want. And there's, you know, a million rooms in one of those buildings and each one of those rooms might represent something else in your life and you just have to open the door. But as long as you have a strong foundation to build on that, then you can do a lot of different things and you can get creative, you can problem solve. And that could just, that could be, you know, um, brewing. It could be uh, something in the cannabis world. It could be old Jeeps. I don't know, whatever it might be. <laughs> I, you know, it's just uh, speaking from personal experience. But um, like, as long as you understand how the process of all of that works and um, and you, you uh, really focus the time and energy into making sure that you have it down, then, then you could start fucking around with it. Yeah. It's interesting. My, <clears throat> there, there's like a couple things that always stick with me um, from my grandfather. So like from a, from a fundamentals standpoint um, my, my grandfather always told me like, first he told me no matter what you do in any, at any point in, in your life, make sure you're the best. If your job is being a janitor, be the best at cleaning fucking toilets on the face of the planet, at least focus on that. Right. And then the other thing that's interesting about how you said, like there's pieces inside everything that you do that can relate to other things. I wanted to start working on my grandfather had a garage door business as I've told you. And, um, I just like tinkering with shit. And so when I got, I got, uh, uh, like a Ford at, I had always changed my oil and shit. I had a fucking Subaru Impreza, which was impossible mm-hmm. to work on, but I got yeah. an old, like a 1990 Ford F-150 right before I drove across country. And I wanted to like, I wanted to do the work myself on, and he didn't really know how to work on vehicles, but he gave me like a really fundamental uh, way of looking at things. The first one, which was a joke, was just hit it with a hammer. And if it doesn't work after that, it's broken. Yeah, <laughs> um, he must've been talking about the starter. <laughs> but yeah, exactly. But the, the real one was like, he just told me how to take shit apart. He was mm-hmm. like, he's like, when you, let's say you want to work on, I think I was changing the fucking coil pack or something. He was like, just take the whole thing apart. And when you take it apart, label, like put it in a fucking plastic bag, mm-hmm. label it, pay attention to the way you take it apart. And then you can see how to put it back together. Totally. And that kind of goes back to this idea of like looking at the way you're doing things. So for me in the process of cooking, at least the majority of my early years in cooking, and I wanted to stay in this fundamental zone for as long as I possibly can. It now is translated into like jujitsu and a bunch mm-hmm. of other shit in my life, but like um, just taking shit apart, like always taking shit apart and always looking at it and, and, and remembering how to put it back together. And I think through that process, when you look at other things, it makes you come, it makes you able to compartmentalize the dissection. And so in that manner, I think that as human beings, we're built to be engineers. We don't like to label ourselves those yeah, things. We uh, we love a puzzle. We love a problem to solve. Yeah. So how long? How long? Because I I do think so. This is like going to be a there's going to be a a beer question for anybody okay. that's listening that brews beer because I think um, you're super fucking humble. All of you got like all of you guys that that work there and make beer humble and, and, uh, don't make the project about yourselves, even though it should, and probably is widely known that you're some of the best brewers in the world. Um, how important and how many hours or how much time did you take? And do you think people should take before 
they move on to trying to be creative. Like yeah. h- how long did you soak yourself in that fucking <laughs> fundamental world of just being a bitch and, and yeah, learning the no, process? I mean, that's really important. I think that's uh, something that's kind of missed to some degree um, in a lot of instances. <laughs> and uh, it's, again, it's not just related to brewing, but speaking from personal experience, um, like I said, I had the, the background in food science, human nutrition, whatever. And uh, my father had the, homebrew kit for father's day and then that's kind of when i was like the the light bulb went off i was like man that's fucking cool i can apply what i'm learning there's there's a lot of chemistry and biology everything in fact um correct me if i'm wrong but the study of biochemistry which like i said was uh the first two years i went to college and i didn't learn this during that time um learned it after but the study of biochemistry was actually uh founded because of um beer fermentation so it was the micro part of it was the yeast and the say like the or sorry the bio part the biochemistry the chemistry part was the um yeast consuming the sugar and creating alcohol which so that's the chemical and previously before i think it was louis pasteur um did this research uh and studied beer fermentation they thought that it was a spontaneous thing that happened like a chemical reaction and um, so that's where the biochemistry part came together. And that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, and anyway, so, you know, fast forward, um, me doing the homebrew with my dad, I really started kind of putting resources and energy and time into learning everything I could about it. And, uh, you know, whatever, 13, 14 years ago, there wasn't a lot of resources out there, at least that I that I knew about, because... Um, you know, in Plattsburgh, New York, <laughs> tiny it's little town, beautiful town. Yeah. Oh man. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah, it has a lot of, uh, great history, but, um, and people for that matter. But, um, there, there, it just wasn't easy to get your foot in the door, I guess. And, uh, I really had to work for it. So I, uh, started talking on like this, <laughs> like online homebrew forum and, um, I met a couple guys over in Plattsburgh that were had a shared interest in in home brewing and and brewing in general, and so we we got together and um, we ended up starting a homebrew club called North Country Homebrewers, and it was like you know three, four, five of us meeting at, you know, weekly, and eventually it evolved into like a fifty person group. It became pretty big, and it continued after I left, um, which was cool. I think it's uh, I think it ceased to exist at this point, but um, it. Uh, that was a good thing to share ideas and see what other people are doing and stuff like that. But again, it was still homebrew. It was, uh, you know, like not a professional setting at all. And so um, we would regularly meet at a brew pub over there and I had never met the brewer. And so I decided one day to go in and introduce myself and uh, see if I can get an apprenticeship, like a uh, internship. And so um, this guy, Jay Stoyanoff, I thought he was doing some cool stuff over there. And, uh, he said that he had never taken on any help and he's never had like an apprentice before. And a lot of brewers kind of shy away from stuff like that because, you know, it's a hassle to have someone around and teach him. And, uh, especially in that case, it was a one man show. And so he was doing everything and, you know, me volunteering my time, you never really know what you're getting into with someone that asks about that stuff until, until it's too late. Um, <laughs> if it's not going to work out, but, uh, um, so he, anyway, he took the risk and he said, sure, I'll, I'll, I'll let you, you seem like an okay person. Like, 
I'll let you come in and shadow. And um, so I uh, ended up doing about 20 hours a week, you know, just kind of volunteer work as an apprentice. And uh, one of the first things that he said to me that was impactful that I think about still to this day was uh, he, he gave me all the shit work. He's like, you're going to be scrubbing the floors, cleaning the tanks, you know, all the stuff that really is what being a brewer is about. And it, the reason that he wanted me to do that is because he said he wanted to take the romanticism away from brewing. And if I still wanted to pursue it after that, then I should. And I don't know if it was because he said that or if it was just because I really love you know, what I'm doing. Um, I, I thought that was very, very cool of him. To, um, a, a really great perspective to have because, um, you know, it's like a new relationship. If you uh, see some attractive person and you're like, I want to be with them, then there's the honeymoon phase. There's, there's, uh, you know, all the, the brain chemicals <laughs> and whatever hormones, everything is firing all at once. And like, eventually that's going to wear away to some degree. And then you're either stuck with this person that you might not actually feel that way about, or it's true love and you have great conversations and like what love really is starts to kind of come around in that relationship. Same exact thing with, with whatever you're passionate about. Um, something might be really cool but there's still work to be done and you have to, you have to like get your hands dirty. Yeah. And, uh, so that's what that was. And then, um, after that I graduated college, thankfully, and I, uh, got a job flipping kegs, you know, started at the bottom. Now I'm here. But, uh, <laughs> I think that's, you know, I think that's really important. And I think a lot of people in the brewing world today missed out on that opportunity to, to uh, be at that, you know, very shitty ground level of just, you know, doing the shit job. Yeah. And then, and learning everything in the brewery that you possibly can learn is so important to, for like what we were talking about before, is like having the, the building blocks, the foundation to be able to like learn more, to develop your thought, have the creative problem solving aspect. Uh, if you don't, know every if you don't know everyone's responsibility in a brewery and you haven't done it there's no way that you would be able to evolve to the highest level yeah. and i'm not i'm certainly not saying that i am i'm just saying that i think that i think that it's important to start at that so you potentially can and you know that obviously comes with who you meet along the way people that might say something or teach you something that you wouldn't have thought of on your own or without that person. Um, and so I was lucky to have met Jay originally over in Plattsburgh. He went to <clears throat> UNH for biology. And so he was a science-minded guy. And I consider myself a science-minded person as well. So um, the way that he explained things just really clicked with me. Yeah. It really made sense. Uh, and then when I graduated and I um, got a job at Switchback, uh, flipping kegs, I met a gentleman named Todd Hare. What does flipping kegs mean real quick? Flipping kegs, uh, I guess maybe that, I guess only maybe some of us call it that, but flipping kegs, <laughs> I, I just mean like cleaning kegs. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So, you know, I was on the keg line. We mm -hmm. were cleaning kegs through the line, filling them, and then they come off upside down. You flip them to put them on a pallet. Sick. Just a, uh, little, just a little insider. Yeah, I, I guess I'd probably say that too probably uh, flip liberally. Some, flip some kegs in my life. Okay, yeah. Let me get around in, dog. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it, you know it's uh it's good, 
to be doing that because you're really thinking about what else you really want to be doing. <laughs> how many, how many kids now do you think like, how many, so I can explain it. It's cool to have this perspective because I do think that like, and you, I think this is why you and I have had a great relationship from the start is because you also like understand food and I really wanted to understand brewing and you like it brought me in and showed me and it all makes sense. It's all a sequence of events. I notice a lot in cooking now. When I was a kid, um, which goddamn that I can even say that at this point, or that either <laughs> of us can say that at this point, it's crazy what's happened in even I would say the past decade in both worlds is you would start at a, you know, flipping kegs, quote unquote, in the kitchen. You know, you would start, yeah. and this is like an- In old, the dish pit. Yeah. There's like an old That's structure. Exactly. This is an old structure. And there's a lot of things about the old, I mean, all of my work is about dismantling the ideas of, of the past, but I do think that there is some, some quality ideals that are missed now that culinary school, for example, bypassed or- just the uh, maybe we're just in a generation where people don't want to work this way but like to me um to me it's really important to take those steps like you're saying to really like understand whether or not you like what you're doing but then also i think that you can't really like take that next step quote like you said something that was that, that was that's important that i always say I think that you should be able, if you're going to be a chef, you should be able to outcook every single person in your kitchen, anything that they do. You should also be able to go into any kitchen and you should be able to cook in any kitchen with whatever piece of equipment that you have immediately within 30 minutes of being in that kitchen, you should be the best, the best cook. I think that we've passed that point in the culinary world. And I guess I feel that kind of what you're explaining to me is that that point has been passed in the brewing world. <clears throat> Is there a reason for that? Would you think that it was because there wasn't as many people interested in it, and now it's be become romanticized? As your your as Jay told you not to look at it from that mm -hmm. perspective in the past, and now it's like really fucking cool to brew beer, and there's this fucking renaissance of craft beer, and everybody's into it, and everybody's a fucking uh, what is it called when you're a beer sommelier? What is that called? A fucking the, oh, the class uh, you take. Cicerone. Everybody's a, a fucking, a fucking, Cicerone. a fucking armchair Cicerone these <laughs> yeah, days. Yeah. And so, do you think that that's? <clears throat> do you think that era is past? I mean, I, I see, and and I'm, let me make this caveat real quick before you answer it. Like, I see the way you work with your people, so I know that it's not gone because people that will come to you will learn that. But one of the problems that I faced always was like. I make motherfuckers do that work mm. and they don't want to. And for me, it was really hard, like in a place like Los Angeles. And I was like, okay, cool. Just get the fuck out. Then it's not going to work. And then you're left alone with nobody. So like, do you think we've passed that, that stage in brewing specifically where, where there's a lot of brewers coming out who maybe don't have the same ideals or maybe don't love it the way that you did or didn't learn that way. Do you think it's gone? Do you see? Um, I, I, I don't think that it's gone necessarily. I don't know. I mean, I think that um, I think that the thing is, is that when I started, you know, I let's just rewind actually. So, <laughs> you know, really, craft beer was started to become a viable business or career, I guess, in the '80s. You know, like early '80s. Really, Who? You know, Sierra Nevada, really? Was that um, the '80s? Yeah. Sick. Yeah. So it wasn't that long ago. Yeah. So like I grew up with craft beer in my life. Like it was around when I was born all the way up through now. Um, but 
a lot of people that are older than us, there wasn't craft beer. There was not, it wasn't a thing. Yeah. And so like, <clears throat> and even, even, uh, myself, you know, being coming up on 34 here, um, like there wasn't a lot of opportunity in craft beer, even when I was in college. So like when I graduated in, uh, you know, 2010, <clears throat> um, college that there, well, I think there were about, I don't know, somewhere between five thousand. There was like five thousand breweries, I think, um, in the United States. And is that including commercial? Uh, yes, yeah, yeah. And so, not a lot. I mean, it's compared nothing. to other breweries, like how many bakeries are there in the United States? You know, how many um, are in and Vermont there's, now? Yeah, there's like <laughs> seventy-five in Vermont now. Yeah. Um, and there might have even been less. It might have been like four thousand or something like that. So in 2010, but um, I'm sure we could look it up. But now there's like coming up on like 8,500 in the United States. So double God that. Damn. And uh, so to answer your question, I think that um, there's all sorts of different people in the brewing industry that maybe wouldn't have been before. Um, so like the people that are really passionate about it will still have that same mindset, I believe. Like I think that people that really want to be the best or like best at their job in, in beer – they still want to know the fundamentals. They still want to do that, you know, the, the shitty jobs to know what it is. Um, but just like any industry that's maturing or mature, there's plug and play positions. And so like, and as the breweries that have started, you know, five, 10, 15 years ago, they're growing rapidly. They also want to plug people into these positions to just be able to get the beer out the door to make it, to package it, all of the stuff that is in between. Um, and so I think that things have changed a little bit, but I think that there's definitely people that maybe haven't even realized that they want to be a brewer yet that will probably follow a very similar path. I think it's more dependent on the person now than anything. Um, but it's, I think that that's not necessarily something that isn't happening anymore, you know? Does volume affect the ability to gain, like, cause you're saying that like, okay, <clears throat> I'm just going to use an example of like what I, so, you know, I left home and I came back and I saw this, I, you know, in 2015, I came back. And then even since I came back for a few months in 2015, and even since then I've seen a fucking explosion here. And so for at vol, like, I, I think that I don't know Jay's size of operation or the first one that you went in, but it seems like there was some time to really sit in the fundamentals. And it, for me, volume restaurants, kids cannot go in there and have that same one-on-one -on -one interaction mm -hmm. with the creator, the totally. person who has the idea. And that's one of the reasons I fucking hate volume really. Um, and so. I mean, I think that you can, I think that people like separate themselves because they're like holier than thou. And I yeah. think that's bullshit. I hate that. I would never want to be that person. I think that it's important to press the flesh with everyone. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. A, a part of something. Like no matter what they're doing. Um, Is that like an old school saying? Press, press the, the flesh? flesh. I mean, I think I probably got that from Todd. Um, I like it, but. So yeah, probably. <laughs> it's. Press the flesh, you know, kiss babies. Like, uh, I talk to people, talk to people, talk to people. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I had to, cause that was a fucking hilarious, but keep going. Cause that was, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I, 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 what I was saying is just that, uh, I think that, um, 
I think that you like, again, it's depending on the person. I think that, you know, in, I understand what you're saying. I think that volume does impact that and it's easier and easier to detach yourself as someone at the top of that volume business, whatever it is, brewing, let's talk about. Um, I think it's easy to separate yourself from the people that are doing all of the stuff under uh, a certain point. But like, I don't think that's right. I don't, I certainly don't ever want to be that person. Um, because if you are, you know, sitting away from what's happening to some degree and you're not talking to the person cleaning the kegs, then there's opportunity for, you know, maybe missing something or, um, something to not be done correctly because those are important jobs. Like if you're, if you're cleaning kegs, for example, that's the vessel that the beer, you can make the best beer in the fucking world. doesn't matter if the keg isn't clean correctly and there's something fucked up in there. Guess what? That's going to be bad for you. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> for your business, for the, for the people drinking the beer, like for your brand, like you have to, you have to have control over every aspect, every tiny little aspect. And like, that's again, goes back to the fundamentals. So like, but this is why, so like, here's my pushback on this thing. This is why, this is what sets you apart from X. I'm not going to fucking put a name out there because I don't, like, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't really put a name out there. But I don't really, like, I don't really have one specifically to land on. But what I'm saying is that at this, with this, with this renaissance of food and beer and fucking even art and music, like, someone people are people tie themselves to this thing in a way that I've never seen before, like food and beer and fucking I, I, like I, I went into the brewery the other day. Like when I go into the brewery, I see people like there's people of all walks of life who are there for either. I think a lot of the people that come into your brewery don't understand how good your beer is, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And so there's a lot of people who would go to another brewery and say, this is also incredible and of the same, like cut from the same cloth Mm -hmm. and of the same level. And so then the people that are working inside that structure actually suffer because they think what they're doing is right, but they're missing that like whatever the touch is mm-hmm. on cleaning the keg, right? Yeah, totally. Or, no, I mean, absolutely. And yeah, that's something that I've been thinking about more and more recently um, is the fact that, you know, like I said, when I started like professionally brewing or at least with my apprenticeship in 2010, <laughs> um, like there was a noticeable difference between some what some what one brewery was doing versus the other. And to some degree, there still is in some, in some instances where, you know, in some places in particular, like maybe, you know, maybe I'm uh, jaded because of being in Vermont and we have great beer culture here. But like, um, I think that something that also has changed dramatically over the past 10 to 15 years uh, in the beer world is the fact that even the small guys, even the people that might be doing a shitty job previously, um, they've gotten better. And like the bar has been raised. And with that raising of the bar, a lot of breweries and other brewers have also gotten better. So like, I think that the inequality gap between 
the best in the world and like the shittiest has really narrowed. I think that, um, I think that there's a lot of decent beer out there at least, you know, which you couldn't say before. Like I would say that, you know, 10 or 15 years ago, you might say the majority of the beer out there is like not very good, but that has changed. And it's because it's, you know, the industry is maturing. There's just a lot more people involved. And with more people involved, there's more exchanges of ideas and information. Um, there's people that have been professional brewers the majority of their life now, which again, wasn't the case uh, even to 15 years ago. Yeah. And so I think that is um, a good point that you made. And I, I agree with what you said, but I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. I think that with the industry becoming more, I hate to use the word saturated, but like full, <laughs> um, <laughs> I think that uh, I think that that's where you have to, and uh, with it becoming more, with more people involved, more breweries, more beer out there, um, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing, and because, like I said, just in general, the standard of quality has been raised. Yeah. Um, and so that might, to the average consumer, that might mean that like our the beer that we're making uh, might be the same as, or to some degree, the same as uh, the next brewery that they go into. But um, the market has also changed, and consumerism has changed, and it always does. And like that's why it's very interesting. I think it's never boring because what's the next fad going to be? What's the next like big hit style going to be? I don't know. But it's fun to think about that. It's fun to try to work toward um, making a mark in the industry and being a leader and uh, not emulating what people are doing and not diving deep into the newest shiny thing. But understanding everything, trying to at least, having the conversation, being open to ideas. Um, I think it's really bad when you corner yourself and say, I've done it this way the whole time. This is what people like. I'm not going to change anything because why would you change perfect? First of all, there is no such thing as fucking perfect in beer, um, just like in food. And if it if you're striving for perfection, um, that's good. But don't be don't rest on your laurels, I guess. Yeah. Because people change, people's tastes and palates and ideas change, and you have to be nimble. You have to be able to evolve and the goal should always be to make better beer, yeah. to make something better. And I think it's a really toxic, like prison of a mindset to say like this, this is what the perfect thing is and I'm not changing anything. Yeah. And, and there are people out there that do that. I could think of a few off the top of my head and, uh, Budweiser. Well, no, no, actually not, not Budweiser, not the big guys. Hold on. Let me give you, I'm going to just do something real quick. I'm going to, I'm going to edit your mic. Okay. Okay. Better. Well, then you can just fucking chill kind of. Yeah. I mean, Instead of leaning in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I asked you in the beginning, this, this is, this is like my, you know, I'm just starting out. Will you pass me another one? I'm, Millers, I'm used to my, uh, I'm used to my zoom. You can just like push this bitch around. I'm used to my zoom, uh, dude, like I am computer, uh, podcasts. I am too. I just got into this fucking microphone thing. Like sitting, I, I've only done zoom. I did one before I just recorded the last one. Um, 
speaking of perfection, we're drinking Miller Lite because that's, you know, you've got me on that shit now. Um, yeah, but yeah, I just got into the fucking um, recording person to person, so I'm still learning it. But you can move this fucking thing around pretty yeah. easily. Like, I mean, Miller, can, speaking of Miller Lite. You um, can dicker with it, you know? Sam Calagione <laughs> uh, started Dogfish Head Brewery in Delaware, and he wrote a book that I read when I was in college called Brewing Up Business, and uh, he had said that, his favorite when questioned when asked what his favorite macro beer was you know big beer um he had said miller light because it's the cleanest and the um it has no off flavors by that's what i mean by cleanest yeah, and, yeah. Uh, it has a discernible hop character even very, as minimal as it is it's more present than like a budweiser or something like that and uh i mean it's so true it is that is, what that's what got you into miller light it, it well no I mean you can pull if you want to sit back you like it is it is the best it is the best macro beer for sure just try to have it like like a like a fist away from your mouth I think is the best okay. you can also push it like that do this all right thank I'm you I'm not a, I'm thank not you. I'm not an, I'm not an uh, fucking audio engineer by any means but I'm learning uh yeah just you're just helping me uh, through the struggle over here yeah I guess I don't know we'll see how it turns <laughs> out I might be fucking up that's <laughs> yeah, good um. But yeah, I, <clears throat> I, I, on the note of like, so, I, but I, j my, my pushback always, because I think you're a fucking nice guy. <laughs> well, I know that you have the same type of asshole inside you that I have, <laughs> um, which is like, an, which is a good thing. It's like, you know, I'm a meaningful ass. I, I, I love everybody and I want everybody to do well. And I, and I hate that people are complacent with mediocrity. And I think a lot of people are, and I hate that something that I'm so passionate about people exist inside that realm and benefit off others who, who can get away with things because, you know, fucking Joe from Alberg doesn't know the difference between the two and because to change Joe from Allberg's mind about, and I use Allberg because it's fucking where you're from yeah. and like where my family <laughs> is from a little bit. And yeah. because it's like the fucking, you know, I have a little bit of experience operating up there. Like if you're not willing, you also have to be willing to like say this is the way it should be, understand the way it should be. It would be, I always use this. It would be super fucking easy for me to be, wildly successful I feel I feel that if I opened a like I've been cooking for a very long period of time I've cooked you know if we're talking about 10,000 hours of work I've definitely cooked 10,000 cheeseburgers in my <laughs> yeah. life so I feel like if I I and I and maybe not but I feel like if I opened a fucking cheeseburger restaurant I could crush it I know that that's not what we should be eating every day I don't think that we should not eat cheeseburgers I eat cheeseburgers but I think we can evolve from we can evolve and we can help educate people and we can and we can we can do it in a tasteful way and we can use our knowledge for something better but there's people who see that people just want to eat cheeseburgers totally. and are like I just want their dollar. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, or yeah, or or even or even I like brewing and I want to be a brewer <laughs> or I like cooking and I want to be a chef and so let me just do the easiest fucking thing the the easiest way possible mm -hmm. and not go through all the other steps. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, that's what I was kind of saying like before is uh, it would be really easy or I, I guess when we opened it in the spring of 2016, you know, it, it would have been really easy and we would have made a lot of money 
um, just doing double IPA, like Vermont hoppy beer. But you know what? That's not what we did. And I'm glad that we didn't because of what I was saying. Things change. People's tastes, people's preferences, things evolve, um, including the consumer. It's a little bit behind the producer, the creator, but it does change. And like there are breweries out there that, you know, brewery peers of ours, I guess, um, that started around the same time that did just dive directly and straight wholly into making hoppy beer. And like there's nothing wrong with that. But um, I think that it's a real shame to be a one-trick pony. Yeah. Um, And if you're not dabbling, at least, in other things, then you're not going to have the experience and not be able to um, be nimble enough or creative enough or have the experience to uh, go in a different direction eventually. Um, Or at least, like, add another layer to, you know, the onion. Um, Yeah. And so, like, that's why I think it's really important to, like, evolve and be open to new ideas all the time, whether it's beer or not. Um, But to kind of go back to what you were saying before is, like, between people walking in the door at our place and walking in the door somewhere else and maybe not noticing a difference in the quality of beer or the beer itself. um, Yes, I agree. And I think that uh, that is something that I think about. Um, I don't know if it's necessarily a disservice to the people making the beer. Uh, I think it's... No, 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 no. My, my thing was, I'm sorry, not to completely interrupt your thought process. I don't think that it's a disservice to the people making the beer. I think that the disservice that the people who don't put the effort in that you guys do, regardless of whether or not somebody understands it, is a disservice to the consumer mm-hmm. because maybe one day they will understand. They will, yeah, for sure. So that, again, like it's uh, there has to be something differentiating no matter what you're doing. But... I think that there's a place in every single town in the United States for a brewery. There could be maybe even multiple breweries in every single town in the United States. There's, and that's with the times that are changing. There's probably always going to be a place for Miller Lite. There's going to be a place for like the this big, podcast. Like this podcast. There's going to be a place for lots of different models, different size brewery businesses, all stuff like that. Um, there's not going to be a place for the people that don't evolve, don't make their whatever they're doing better. Um, there's not going to be a place for the in-betweens, the people that are trying to expand beyond their what you know reasonable reach, um, like the you know regional or national breweries. And some of them obviously will succeed, but there is going to be changes that happen just with more competition, more saturation that is inevitable. It happens in every industry and everything. So why wouldn't it happen in beer? It already is happening in beer. Um, so how do you, how do you separate yourself from that? How do you like remove yourself from the weeds? I think it's, uh, just trying to provide something more. So like the goal always should be to make better beer and just, make sure that that you have on lockdown because you don't want that being the problem that you don't want that being the reason that you're getting behind or failing, right? Is for a quality issue. You want to strive to create value added stuff along with the great beer. And so like in my mind, um, in our model, it fits into our model and if it's into our community, um, is to create a gathering place, a place that people can go and talk about how great or how shitty the beer is. (laughs) Uh, 
why they don't like this certain style or whatever. That's why we don't have TVs on the wall down there. That's why the bar is curved the way it is because it's to inspire conversation. It's ergonomically appropriate for leaning over the table or the bar and talking to the person three seats down from you. That's sick. I never gathered that, but yeah. Yeah, the the general contractor um, that we had for for foam was, uh, his his name is Russ Bennett. And um, the local paper here, Seven Days, did an article on him. Uh, I think it was the year after we opened, so probably 2017. And uh, they deemed him the Wizard of Awe. And uh, he looks kind of like Gandalf, um, it, you know, in a good way. <laughs> like long, you know, long white beard. And I love he's it. A, he's a unbelievably awesome person, super creative, very talented guy. Um, and he, he uh, said a lot of really positive, beneficial things for me personally that I took away. Um, but he also was the one that was driving the idea of the curve, like the curved lines with foam, you know, it's the, yeah, the squigglies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and he's, he's really focused on like movement with people like in and out of a space, ebb and flow, I guess. Yeah. And, um, so it was his idea to have that wavy bar, which was a hard thing to do, especially for the people making the bar. Um, and, uh, Russ is a is a really interesting person, and um, people have a lot of respect for him. So the people that were on the project when we were building foam out were working extra hard because they wanted to impress him. Yeah, um, he's the guy that does all the, uh, or at least previously did all the art, like visual installations, I guess for um, for Bonnaroo every year. Him and no his team. Way. Yeah, I think recently they stopped doing it in the past like two or three years. Um, but they would go down there even when we were opening foam. They had to go and go down a bond. They had to like basically leave. They so that that's why we had to we had a timeline because they had a hard cutoff and when they had to go down Bonner's in Tennessee, right? Yeah, I think so. And so, they had to I go mean, down. They could just, be fucking. They all, the whole team that up. was building foam out had to leave and go down and do that and stay there the whole time. Um, they also do Boston Calling. They do all the fish. Uh, like um, concerts, like oh, festivals. Shit. Is he from Vermont? Yeah, he's from. He's uh, he lives in Waitsfield, Vermont. Um, but anyway, he uh, so like you know, people in Vermont love love their music and love their fish in particular. So there was a uh, there was one guy that's really talented with uh, Vermont Eco Floors, and uh, they were doing a bar, our bar, and he really busted his ass and put a lot of extra time into trying to make the bar perfect so he could impress Russ and maybe, you know, work with him in the future. And so that's what it's all about is like the interpersonal connections that you have with people that are a part of something and like trying to recreate that, I guess, for people walking in the door, experiencing your place for the first time. Um, you want them to experience the beer in the, in the best light, literally and figuratively. You want them to, um, have some type of feeling associated with your brand or your business or your place beyond just the beer. Because like we were saying, they could go to the next brewery and have a beer that they might think is the same quality or whatever. Um, so you have to add something value added. Yeah. And like, so for us, it's music and shows and like tying in the community with artists. We have a, we have a vibrant community here in Burlington, Vermont of artists, whether it's visual artists or auditory, you know, yeah, like yeah, yeah. <clears throat> all sorts of cool and creative things going on and like trying to express that 
to people that are from Connecticut or New Jersey or Philly, whatever. It's like that also have a lot of stuff going on in their hometowns, like trying to just give people a taste of what we're all about, what we support, who we are um, with the beer and just the experience in general. Yeah. Control the controllables. Yeah. I think. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> Control the controllables. I like it. What I was going to say is right before you said that and you caught me off guard, um, I always try to explain to people that I talk to, like the music program is fucking insane at Foam. There's like, uh, I'm trying to, I can't remember the band. You told me about this band. Um Morphine morphine vapors of morphine yeah like that shit happening there is incredible the sound is incredible and what's really cool and you kind of explained this to me that production was not really like canning and production was never really the focus it was more to like build this space of community mm -hmm. um i feel like in general what everybody like it, it was it really grabbed me i think that that's what like brought us together in conversation as well and made us become friends quickly was that we're talking about building things inside our world, which to us, to you and I, and I think you have the same outlook as me is like, my world is fucking literally, you know, a 30 mile radius at any mm -hmm. time. I'm not worried about what's happening outside. Of course, I want people from the outside to see what I'm doing as an example of how you can build community, but the focus on your space and not just being cookie cutter and thinking about all of those micro details that no one realizes, but leave and have that experience. Like just you explaining your space. I was thinking you and I were having a beer when I, right before I left Mexico and we went outside and sat down at that fucking weird shaped metal thing. Mm -hmm. That's right by the yeah. front. And I was sitting there thinking like, this is the best thing to sit at and have a conversation. Cause you and I were like forced to look like, totally. that's what I like about doing this is like, we're forced to look each other in the eyes. We're like right. listening to each other in our fucking ears. Most of the time when you go in like, yo, let's go have a beer. Like I'm sitting across a fucking rectangle from you or at the other end of a mm. rectangle from you. But that With weird TV shape on the wall. Yeah. Fucking God you. damn dude. That's the worst shit in the world. And, and, but yeah, I mean, to, I, I can't take credit for that though. Like that. I'm not saying that you, you don't have to take credit for it. I'm no, just saying I, that like you guys, you hear guys me out here. So like that, that <laughs> thing that you sat on in particular that you're talking about right now out in the patio in front mm -hmm. of home, um, like th this is what I was saying. This is what I'm saying. It's like interactions with people in like different things, maybe um, kind of color in the, whatever the painting is, you know, it's like add the color to what the, what would otherwise be black and white. So the black and white in this case would be like an idea of like, we wanted from the inception of foam, we wanted there to be a vibrant, you know, um, representation of our, amazing community artist communities work so like the visual art the music all of that stuff was intended and then done um when we started foam but like <clears throat> that thing that you're talking about that we sat on was an artist that we had met named christopher solbert and uh, he's from charlotte and he has like these pretty cool weird uh like I guess statues spread out in real random places in Vermont. There's one in a field outside of Stowe. There's one. Yeah, in I, 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 I think I know the one in. I think I know the place it's in Stowe. They're in ra very random places, mm -hmm. like in a field. 
And like, it's kind of cool driving by and you're like, holy shit. It's almost like, uh, it's almost like weird, like guerrilla marketing kind of thing for us now. But so what happened was we met this guy and we didn't even have any funding yet. It was one of the first things that we spent money on, um, which was very stressful at a certain point, but yeah, we, this guy was moving down to South Carolina and he had, uh, his house was in Charlotte and he had like a field in the back, um, with a bunch of his metal art. And so Todd, one of my partners, Todd, Sam and I walked through and, um, he just wanted to unload it. And so he basically, he was like, you know, give me a price, like name, name it. And like, you can have all of this, this stuff. And so like some of it was finished. Some of it was like statue stuff. Some of it was just like real rough metal cutouts. And then there, there was a smoker in there. Um, is that the smoker? Yeah, that's the smoker that's at the annex right now. The Sick. big ass smoker. He, well, he made that. No way. Yep. And, uh, and the benches that you're talking about outside, he also made those and they were all just sitting outside like in a pile basically. And those benches were made for a playground that for some reason they never ended up going to the playground. Um, but because of that, that inspired Russ to have like the, the curved bar, you know, like the ergonomic, you know, um, uh, easy way to talk to people. And, uh, so it's just like, it's kind of like the butterfly effect, I guess, not to be corny, but no, but it's like what I was saying in the statement that I was making is that you got what you guys do. And, and <clears throat> before we started recording, you and I were having a conversation about how like you and Todd have these, like what other people would look at as crazy ideas. But I think that what the, at least for me, what, what I've gathered from both of you is that, and why I find myself aligned with you guys after meeting with a ton of fucking people in this, like you're the people that I align with the most, I think, because your vision is not like, you know, how to create things and, and you have kind of a vision, but your overarching vision is to build a community and allow things to come into the space. And what you're inspired by is that fucking weird ass bench that was going to go to a playground or the bar and like all of the things that you consume in your space to me speak to that. Mm -hmm. They speak to the fact that you've brought this, this, this like unlinear way of thinking into a very linear system, which is like, you know, for lack of a better term business, no. And mm -hmm. when, when you, even when you were talking about like, your, your thought about not, you know, constantly be evolving and constantly be getting better. I, my pushback on that is that I think a lot of people think they, when they create the thing, they just continue to find new ways to sell that thing instead of actually thinking about how to evolve the thing for the people's tastes that are coming in and paying attention and like curating these ideas and these thoughts and this, this, it's a feedback loop, right? Mm -hmm. Like you create a space, you bring people in, you, you know, you guys are inspired by the music, you're inspired by the art and your beard, you can fucking, you can see and feel and taste and hear that in when you consume it. And so what I meant about like the interaction that we had sitting at that thing, maybe it wasn't that guy's idea or maybe it wasn't your idea, but you opened the door mm -hmm. to allow that to come in. And that's really, um, that's really to me something that's moving, especially in a community like 
Burlington that I feel and all fuck, I have no problem saying this in, 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 uh, in ruffling a few feathers. I do feel like it's stagnant here. I do feel like, you know, I came to Karma Birdhouse specifically to this space just to look for a fucking place to record my podcast. And mm-hmm. when I met Giovanna and I looked at the space and she told me about what they were doing, they're doing the same fucking thing. They're like, here's this space. We're curating an idea. We have had a lot of success. We have the ability to create more success, but what we want to do is we want to bring, allow other people to, we want to curate community and we don't want to talk about it. Like we don't want to like say that we're curating community we, that because that's not really how movements start. That's not really how creativity works. I yeah, don't, don't think. talk about it. Be about no, it. exactly. I read fucking some interview with, that Todd said the same type of thing where it was like, and you've told me this a million times. It's like, you know, when I came to you and had that conversation about how much local shit you work with, I was like, I had no fucking idea. Mm -hmm. I just came here and I had incredible beer. And I had talked to many other people in the brewing community that said the products available in Vermont, as far as hops and grain, were just not at a level that was sufficient enough for them to create what they wanted. And I think that you guys' outlook is like, this is what we have. We're going to fucking just do, we're going to let that dictate what we do. Mm -hmm. And we're just going to use our fundamentals and we're going to find a way to make it work. And I think that that's the, the, that's a cornerstone of fucking community, dude. That's a cornerstone (laughs) of fucking evolution in general. Yeah, of course. And I think that uh, Todd, um, who is, you know, I'm very close to Todd. He's one of my partners in foam. Um, he was the guy that hired me, uh, you know, into the professional brewing world and switchback. Uh, he hired me to, you know, flip kegs on the keg line for two years, basically, but uh, <laughs> we all know what that term <laughs> yeah. means. Now. Um, but, um, <laughs> he, uh, he is, he's been mass massively influential in my life. My, you know, ideas of how things are. And, um, he, uh, taught me, the majority of what I know about brewing and other things in life too. Um, he's also very interested in cooking and, uh, fermentation, other things of fermentation, in the food world, um, classic Jeeps and stuff like that. Classic, classic Jeeps, Jeeps, dude. Um, but anyway, I wish I had one. I've got the fucking modern Jeep and yeah. it's not a dream. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah, my, uh, my biggest concern on the, on the Jeep, my Jeep is, um, well, what, the one that I'm driving currently, not the the other five. Uh, <laughs> if it's an electrical issue, uh, it's pretty easy to diagnose because I did all of the electrical myself. <laughs> I ripped all the other shit out. So anyway, getting sidetracked here. Um, what I was going to say is uh, something that I really liked that Todd has said a couple times now is um, that, you know, just like craft beer in the 80s, like I was saying, when that started, people didn't really know what it was. Like they didn't know why they were going to be spending more money on something that probably, I don't know because I wasn't there, but probably wasn't quite as good as it should have been or as good as some of the macro beers out there in the market because they have it dialed. I mean, they have the process down. They, you know, like uh, the Millers of the world. But um, people had to support that for it to become an industry. There had to be a customer walking in the door and buying it so they could so they could grow and learn and get better. And like Todd has, has said that repeatedly about um, certain ag related industries in Vermont that maybe someone maybe other um, people in our industry, other peers of ours might say 
the quality isn't there to do what I'm doing, blah, blah, blah. Um, I get that. Like you always want to have the best ingredients so, so you can put it on your damn label. But like there also has to be some type of skill behind what you're doing and like being able to work with these local ingredients. And even though it might not be the best on paper or like the easiest to work with, easy, <coughs> easiest to work with or cheapest um, is an important part of that, I think. But it's like, that's the whole point of being a brewer. At least it was maybe not now, but like you have to work with what you're given. And that's how it was for the rest of history in beer. <laughs> it's like, yeah, there wasn't like highly modified malts. There weren't these ingredients that you could just buy from some big, you know, distribution hub essentially and get it at your doorstep like two days later. Um, that wasn't an, op an option. You had to work with what you had at your fingertips. And I think that's cool. I think that like making something out of, out of uh, ingredients that are maybe difficult to work with in general um, and try and making something that is, you know, uh, I don't want to be like world trying to make something that's world class out of that. And if then you get recognition for that, I think that's way cooler than ordering what everyone else is ordering. Yeah. Cause, and, and I guess the whole point of what I'm saying is like, you have to support the farmers. You have to support the people in your community for them to even be able to evolve at all. Because if they don't have financial support, by other businesses that are using and, and promoting, they're not going to go anywhere. It's not going to get better. There's not going to be that ag industry here in Vermont. It's a small state. We, there's 600,000 people here. Like there's probably 10 cities in New York state that, well, maybe not New York state. But there's, there's a ton of places out there that um, there are cities in these states that are, you know, at least as big as the population of Vermont, if not like 10, 20 times bigger. So it's like, there's, there is limit. There are limitations to being in a very small, geographically small state and also population-wise state. There's not as many people to spend a dollar. There's not, um, you know, there's not a lot of land to do certain things. You can't have the economy of scale for uh, like a massive malt house out west or you know the Midwest. Um, you don't have the climate that maybe the West coast has for growing hops, like the, uh, semi-arid climate. Um, you have a lot of, you have a lot less pest, uh, issues. You have, um, environmental factors, uh, out, out West that like maybe won't impact your crop that year here in Vermont. It's cold. It's wet. There's all sorts of pests that for some reason love to live here, <laughs> um, like pests that will eat away at plants and stuff like that. Um, and so you gotta, <clears throat> gotta put the extra effort in if you want to have that here. And I think it's really important to have a diverse and vibrant agricultural, uh, like, you know, agricultural, ag <laughs> sorry, agriculturally related businesses in Vermont. Um, because it's always been ag. Yeah. There's, <clears throat> there's, uh, there's a changing farmscape in Vermont here. There's, uh, because of the economy of scale and because of um, all sorts of different factors, actually, dairy is kind of on the outs. Like they, a small dairy farm in Vermont cannot, it's just impossible for them to compete with dairy farms in 
you know, out West or in, in Midwest or Florida, even for that matter. Um, and so like when these dairy farms are going under, which is happening all the time, um, it's really good and important to kind of maintain the, some type of agriculture there. And so like, that's where these hop farms are popping up. That's where these, you know, um, grain growers are popping up. Like people are getting creative in what they're doing. And at the end of the day, you just have to, you have to support it. It's really important. It and does in the, it does in the end, you and I have had this conversation. It does in the end come down to you and like, and I'm using you and I, I'm going to say you and I, but I'm going to say like anyone who works in food or beer, I am I all like, I'm for sure the most abrasive human being when it comes to this. And I have no fucking problem saying it because this is just where I'm at and what I do. Like it is absolutely our fucking responsibility. It is absolutely pro possible at scale for every single, I believe this and like <clears throat> maybe I'm a little bit off on beer, but if we continue to do what you guys are doing, it is possible for us to make everything to make all the beer here. No, 100%. And it yeah, is possible, and it is possible for every fucking restaurant here to function with 100% Vermont product if they choose to do the work. And it comes back to fucking cleaning the kegs, to fucking understanding the fundamentals, to really loving if you love doing this do it if not get the fuck out yeah because I mean, what you're doing is you're like you said you're killing my, my this is where my family is for this is where my blood is from you know mm -hmm. what i mean like i come from a fucking lineage of of dairy farming family all that lands my grandfather's all the fucking land's gone all the cows are gone it just does come down to that and i think that you know maybe I guess I wish on a consumer base, they would understand a little bit more, but it still doesn't matter if we make this hard and fast line, like you guys have that like, and of course I know that you guys use things that aren't from Vermont. Mm -hmm. Of course, absolutely. Because there's not even enough to supply you with what you need. And because you like creating diversified things, but the majority of, 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 of those products that are grown in Vermont that are used for beer, you guys are actually consuming. Yeah, totally. And also, like, just to set the record straight here, like, there's nothing wrong with people that are are buying, you know, malt from the UK or whatever, or hops from absolutely New Zealand yeah. or Australia, like like we do, but uh, as well. But um, there's there's just different priorities and different um, business models, I guess. It's like there's breweries that are sending beer outside of the state in high volume and doing a really great job with that and not purchasing things from Vermont. There's a whole thing in, uh, you know, in the, uh, Vermont Brewers Association, I guess, um, which is, there's a conversation about like defining what Vermont beer is and like, you know, it's like, is it made within the borders of Vermont or is it using all local locally produced Vermont ingredients in the beer? Like it's a tricky thing to define because, there's, it, it's almost impossible to at scale make something, let's talk about beer, in Vermont without buying from outside of the state. So like that definition immediately goes out the window. Um, unless you're just a small hometown brewery, not sending beer outside of the state. But that's just not, that's not viable either. And that's also not good for anything because you need functioning larger businesses in the state 
for all of this stuff to happen as well. So you need a you need a healthy mix. You need dollars from the outside. It's funny. I remember. I don't know if you in a small state you do for sure. Of course. I don't know if you remember. I don't know if you remember this thing. I don't even know if I was here when it happened, but I heard that um, that who the fuck knows how long ago this was. They were trying to create something called Burlington bread. That was like a currency that was just in Burlington. This is like, oh, okay, yeah. talking about like 15 years ago or something <clears throat> yeah, I like think this. I, I think I remember that. I, I don't even know if it was 15 years ago. It might've been le- less than that. And like the pushback from the farming community was like, the fuck am I going to buy a f- tractor with Burlington mm-hmm. bread? So I, I, I understand the ne- necessity to create, uh, to bring money in. And I'm not saying that like, I'm not saying that you should have nothing from anywhere. The reason I work in the extreme is because I want to prove the point that it is possible to put people, hold people over the fire that they should be consuming more local products. So when someone says, and, and, and it's possible at scale and we'll prove this soon. Um, I don't care how much a fucking egg is. I can create an affordable dish with an egg on it at, at, at any volume. I mean, we have actually, you and I have a project right now that's kind of proving this fucking theory, right? Mm-hmm. We've looked at the numbers on it. So uh, am I saying that uh, the fryer oil that we use is not from fucking Vermont? Right. Okay. But all of the dollars it that we're be. generating can be from there. And there's people coming from the outside. And so, yes, bring things in at my extreme. My extreme is to prove a point. But if the gold standard for someone like, you know, Vermont Fresh Network is 35% local product used. What does that even mean? How is that right. a gold standard? Right, and how right. is the barrier of, barrier of, barrier of entry 10%? Mm-hmm. And so I guess what I like more so what I mean and me just being a militant motherfucker when it comes to like local using local products is like, stop making excuses for why you can't do it and start looking at your functionality at your day-to-day processes. It's the same conversation that you and I have all the time. Like one of the major reasons in beer, it's almost, it's almost comical when we've looked at the numbers about like what the affordability of that process is, but also, you know, labor tends to be the only bargaining point in any food service, um, in any food service conversation, it's like, oh, you know, fucking the price of meat or the price of eggs or the price of dairy is fluctuating up. We can't afford to buy local, but you can cut your fucking service. You know, you can cut your fucking employees down. The reason people are doing that is because the bottom line of the owners who probably don't do a goddamn thing or maybe do very little and think they do a lot is getting cut out. Like you have to be an owner operator. So I think you were saying like the only way it's possible to use hundred percent Vermont product would be to have only small brewers. I think that you guys are small brewers and you even ship beer outside. But the reason I think that is because everybody that owns that business works like physically works in that business. I mean, yeah, we, we are a small, small brewery. Um, I mean, a uh, very small brewery. In a but lot I don't of think that, but I, I guess like, that's not what I, what I, what I would envision being what people think is a small, when you walk into foam, you're not like, oh, this is like a fucking Mac, like a Mac, uh, micro. super micro brewery. Yeah. Right. Right. Even though, but so, so, so I guess what I'm saying is that 
it comes down to the mentality of like, how responsible are we for our community? And then when it comes to labeling a Vermont product, like people do like to use that shit as a sale point Mm -hmm. when it's not really necessary to do so. Right. Like, and, uh, And and do people care is another question. Only the people that like, I, it's funny because I think that people like, I mean, the consumer, does the consumer care if, uh, if, I one of those beers, by the way. Does the does your customer care if you can push you're, that out? If you're uh, <laughs> buying all local malt and hops, like, I guess what from uh, our market research? No, not not really, fucking not definitely really. not. Does the beer taste good? That's what people care about. Yeah, and so that, yeah, and that and and therein lies as they should. I don't. I mean, like. Local, that's another thing. It's like local to somebody that might be traveling through Vermont or to Vermont specifically for the thing is like if they're from New Jersey or whatever, Maine, anywhere outside of Vermont, it's not local to them. They don't, why would they care? So it's like the people in the state, in your community that you need to rally to like get behind this stuff. Because if there's people living here, let's say, buying stuff here, buying beer, spending that dollar, it's like, it's really important for the small Vermont economy to have that dollar circulate a bunch of times in yeah. the state. So it's like, it's also good to have people come from outside of the state and spend their dollars here because it's just adding to the Vermont economy in that way as well. And like, if that dollar is supporting a local farmer, that's, that's cool and that's good. It's, I think it's unreasonable to have an expectation that everyone is doing that. It's not real. And, and also it wouldn't be good. It's not a good thing because you have to have different models. You have to have different um, products and different yeah. like ways of getting there. And like, if you don't have that diversity in business, if you don't have the diversity in like just your you know models in general and business models, you, there's not going to be a evolution because like value added, perceived value, I guess. It's like, that was another thing in uh, Sam Calagione's book. I hope I'm saying the last name right. <laughs> said it that Sounds way for right. a long time. Um, it was like, he had a whole, like a little uh, antidote in there, I guess, a story of when he started out <clears throat> Dogfish Head. And it was, he thought that, um, you know, people would really appreciate the fact that like it was all handmade. So like he was labeling his bottles at the time um, with some shitty cheapo <laughs> labels, but it was like hand done, you know, it, like he made the labels and he used whatever the backing was. It was like not very good glue. And so like he like had this whole like romantic story about like his maiden voyage to shipping beer, like across the whatever he like rode it over on a boat somewhere. And, um, he like thought it was like the coolest thing. Like, and then he got a call from the place that he had sold the bottles to. And they're like, the labels are falling off on in the cooler. (laughs) And like, it was a, it was a hard lesson that he had to learn, but like impactful for me as the reader, you know, it's like, like just because you're small and just because you're doing something authentic and by hand, you still have to have the standard of quality. And like, it can't like, the customer, the consumer at the other end of that, there's perceived value. And like, you have to, you can't just rest on the fact that like, I did this by hand. There has to be like an an image of quality and and like some type of standard at the end of all of that. And so like there, it is important to kind of like have that perspective, I guess. And in the same vein of like, you can't just support local 
whatever that means. Like there has to be, you have to empower the people you're working with to be better. And you also have to have that like mindset yourself because otherwise you're doing both of you a disservice. Yeah. You also have to, you also have to like, I mean, I, th I think what you're also, what you're hinting at is like challenge. Like you can't just say that everything local is good. Right. Right. So, and, 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 and this is where it's easy for those guys who say they don't use local Vermont hops. It's for easy example, for them to say, cause good enough because they're like using the best shit in the world. Exactly. Which is true. And so like my whole view of, of the world in general is that I like a, I don't think that this switch could be flipped and that suddenly we could all support ourselves within communities. Do I think that it could have happened if somehow, you know, impure, whatever, fucking let's not even start to get into the, the many different forms of government and oppression that created the system that we work inside today. But do I think it could have been? Probably. I think anything could have been possible. Do I think that we can change it now? No. <laughs> Do I think that what our, resp our responsibility, this is, this is where I draw the line. My response, I think that my responsibility as someone who works with food is to make sure that there is nothing unsold and that nothing is devalued by the fact that a farmer, for example, can't sell his product, so he needs to bottom line it to get it out the door or leave it in the field. I think that if we can all do that, if we can all make sure that that's happening, then we're being a responsible, local, consuming community. I don't think that's happening right now here. Yeah. And so- and, and I know we're not, in a, I know that that means we're going to have to supplement things, right? I know mm -hmm. we're gonna have to supplement with things. Do I go and eat fucking, you know, shit that's not from the state? Absolutely. fucking lutely I do. Do I wish that you're a, you're a big McDonald's guy, right? I, yeah, dude, totally. I fucking <laughs> love McDonald's. Um, <laughs> no, but like, even that I go and like, you know, I've got fucking avocado oil in my house. I've mm -hmm. got fucking, is it the majority of what I use? No. Do I need it to cook things that I want to cook my son and cook my wife? Yes. Is, is there, is so I guess, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's what I'm no, trying no, to say. No, no, yeah, yeah. There's not. No, no. I, and I don't think that there is. I guess. And and so all I'm trying to say is that even though it seems building like, the foundation for a sustainable ag economy, right? Exactly. That, don't leave shit in the field. Yeah, don't waste. Yeah. Be resourceful. Yeah. And don't and, and don't, support support that. And don't dicker with your fucking farmer because mm -hmm. you can get it cheaper from a fucking Cisco. Totally. Like don't like don't do things because they're cheaper. Right. I guess. Maybe that's where we can let it rest, right? Or because first of all, if you've put in the time and effort to understand a craft like you have with beer, don't make the excuse that homeboy doesn't have the hops that work well, make a beer with his hops mm -hmm. and just see how it hits. If it's fucking horrendous, at least you've invested in it. And maybe you take a little and bit. And also maybe look in the mirror too. I think, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just, just saying like, oh, I used this like hop, for example, like there, you know, there's a lot of, there's so much to go into um, with all that stuff. Like hops, a real brief background here is like Vermont at the turn of the century was, uh, the second largest producer of hops in the United States behind New York state. Um, wow. and it, it left Vermont for various reasons, mostly because of the cold, wet climate, downy mildew, pest problems, stuff like that. Uh, and just the fact that there's not enough real estate here <laughs> to be able to support the 
number of breweries increasing at the turn of the century. So now imagine, you know, there's like a thousand times more, literally, um, if not more than that. And so like the hops and of course, like, you know, with the railroad going out West and everything, it just allowed for commerce to be, um, quicker, I guess. And like more, you know, it was easier to, to buy something that wasn't from Vermont, you know? Uh, and so like, anyway, the hop industry moved out West because of the semi-arid climate and, um, downy mildew and stuff like that wasn't really an issue. And there's tons and tons of flat land, tillable land or whatever, um, that you could grow hops at. So like, the hop industry moved out there, started working with universities, University of Oregon, whatever. Um, these large, very large farms became massive businesses. And so they, as a business, a successful business does, they're evolving, they're creating and um, trying to like come up with whatever the next best thing is going to be. And so they funneled a lot of money and resources and time into developing new hop uh, cultivars. And so like, that's where you get your sexy Citra and mosaic and all of these other hops that are like super cool right now. And that took a long time and a lot of money and they trademarked that stuff. Mm -hmm. So like, and, and again, I think that a difference between you and I is like, I don't have a problem with big business necessarily. I think that, um, there's things that are fundamentally flawed and wrong, just like any system. Um, but I am competitive to the core. Yeah. And I think that if anything, that just lights my fire to want to, with less resources and money, just in general, that makes me w- want to be more creative and like try to figure out how to like, you know, beat that system, I guess, with what we're given. And so like, anyway, I'm getting off track. But what I'm saying here is these these big hop farms out west or whatever, for example, developed these hops. They paid for them. They trademarked them. It is what it is. So like, you can't grow Citra in Vermont because unless you had an agreement with the company that trademarked that. Yeah. And so like, Vermont is left with um, kind of the old school hops, like the Cascades and Centennials and Chinooks and all stuff like that, that are just like played out, I guess. Um, although like, just like fashion and other things, like they're coming back into, they're coming back into fashion. What's that? I said that foot smell. Is that, that? are those the ones that smell like feet? Like, Oh, I mean, there's, Oh, Oh, now you're talking about uh, Simcoe, which is a trademark top. (laughs) Oh, it is. Um, but, uh, it's what he trademarked locker room. Well, (laughs) I mean, different strokes. Right. But, uh, (laughs) anyway, so like there's, I like it by the there way. There are different like ways of looking at things. And like, I guess the whole point of me going on this tangent is, um, it's like, you can make a great beer with hops grown in Vermont, even though they're not like the easiest thing to be wowed by, you can do it. And it's just, you have to, you have to have that creative aspect. You have to think outside the box and you have to be willing to fuck around with it. And, and try to make something great with, out of, you know, the basic ingredients in your, in your cabinet. So as a pushback, I'm going to just like throw this at you real quick. If there wasn't a trademark on Sim, uh, Sim, Simco, Simco, Citra, Mosaic, and it could be grown in Vermont, 
at that point, would you say that it would be possible to grow all of those? If we were growing all of those things in Vermont, would, I, I mean, to me, and this is my only, look, I, I also like, I'm com- competitive in the belief that I th- want to do things as good, if not better than everybody else, because that's just a standard that I hold myself to. It's a personal challenge to myself. But the flaw in big business is that you have people who develop things who then hold on to them and don't share them with others. And so if you have a great idea, if you have a great recipe, if you have a great you know, beer and you don't allow other people to explore how it could work in their environment, maybe that hop could work here and it could evolve into its own style of Vermont Citra, but because they don't allow it to, we're left having to buy it from them. And so then what we're left with is a homogenized flavor profile or, you know, when people... I, when when I talk to people that know about beer, they're like, "Oh, this is mosaic hops," and it, like it always has mm-hmm. to taste exactly the fucking same. It can't mm-hmm. be like, you know, Brad from fucking St. Albans, Simcoe or Citra hop. It can't. They can't be like, you know, everybody can't grow their own version of that hop. For example, do you do you think that that is <clears throat> crippling in a sense? Yeah, I mean, I I completely agree with what you just said. Like in the sense of, I think that the flavor of beer. As, as it's gotten better across the board, different breweries and such, um, raising the standard and what quality is, I think also that came with the homogen, like you said, homogenization of the flavor of beer. It's like, every, like all this, for the most part, I mean, there is differences that I would know, but like, and most other brewers would, but like people know what mosaic tastes like. People know what citrus and go, all that stuff is. And yes, I think that, that is uh, unfortunate to some degree. Um, but again, it's not necessarily a bad thing because that allows you to, if you know that and you know how to get around that, then that gives you an opportunity as a small brewer in Vermont using local ingredients, right? Like the, so like I was saying the old school hops like Cascade and Centennial, kind of lame, right? Like who cares? I care about it because the Cascade and Centennial grown in Vermont is one of the things that really expresses terroir, you know, the French wine term, uh, meaning taste of place. Yeah. It's like, so like the soil, the atmosphere, the environment, like the, the TLC of the hop farmer in uh, <laughs> East Hardwick, let's say, yeah, yeah, yeah. um, there is a very discernible difference between a Cascade grown in Vermont and a Cascade grown anywhere else. And like, that's really cool. But like, how do you take that hop that is as expensive, if not more expensive than Citra that everyone knows and loves, justify buying that hop from the small hop farmer, using it in a beer, knowing that people don't give a fuck about Cascade or want that flavor, right? It's like, so that's where the responsibility is on you as the producer, the creative manufacturer to tell that story in a way that is meaningful and value added. And so like, and, and also try to take that raw ingredient that is discernibly different and explain that to people without shoving it down your throat or their throat. Do you think people care or do you think people 
like or think that Citra tastes better, just using Citra as, as our as our guide here, do you think that people like or think that Citra tastes better? Or do you think that the story that's been told about Citra has made them believe that it's better? And so regardless of whether or not it's better, that's how their palates have been dictated to function. I think that... Um I think that certain hop cultivars really kind of rose to the top in, in popularity because of um, changing beer style, popular beer styles preference in that regard. Uh, like, you know, hazy double IPA, for example. So out in the West Coast, um, in California, you know, there's this beer from this famous brewery that I have a ton of respect for called Russian River. And uh, they had before the whole, you know, East Coast, like hazy IPA craze, there um, was a uh, beer called Pliny the Elder or Pliny the Elder. Yeah, 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 I've heard of that. And so like that's, you know, a double IPA, clear, you know, crystal clear beer with uh, um, old school hops. And that was the fucking holy grail of, of hoppy beer, you know, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, 15 years ago. And, and to some degree, it still is. Um, it, and then you have breweries in Vermont cause everyone calls it new England style IPA, but it's Vermont style IPA. <laughs> it's like, uh, there's some very, um, I guess how do I say this, uh, there are people and there are breweries in Vermont that set a new standard for a beer and, um, set the tone for what, New England style IPA became. <clears throat> and so like the alchemist, for example, heady topper, that beer blew people's minds. And that was kind of the beginning of like that, that hazy beer, f- like phase craze, you know, and consumers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, and that I'm not entirely sure what the hops are in there, but I know it's a lot more than one. Um, and it's, I think it's a mix of, of like those old school hops that I'm talking about and maybe some newer style hops. That beer's been around for a while and uh, it's still considered one of the best beers in the world. It's awesome. Yeah. I, I think I personally think it's awesome. Um, it is different now because times have changed. So like, like I said, things are cyclical. Beers that are a little bit more piney, um, bitter, uh, even like West Coast style IPA is coming back into like, like popularity. Is West Coast style IPA defined by Sierra Nevada? Uh, they're definitely one of them. Yeah, I would say like Sierra Nevada, um, Russian River is another like big name out there. Like places like that, even Stone, I guess. Um, probably not so much anymore because they were they were just bought out by Big Beer. Oh, I didn't know that. <clears throat> but um, but yeah, like Sierra Nevada, absolutely godfather of fucking beer just into craft beer in general really like and yeah west coast style hoppy beer like but i guess the point of what i'm trying to say is like things change as i've said from the beginning of this conversation people's preferences change like um you know i guess like products i hate calling anything a product but like beer if we're talking about beer but that's food, big business dog it's like well i'm no i'm saying <laughs> I'm like just giving you shit just like as a general term for like it doesn't have to just be beer is what I'm yeah, saying. yeah it could yeah, be yeah. anything across the board it's like the you have to evolve you have to like dabble you have to like make change i read an article um 
a long time ago, probably, I mean, not that long ago, 12 years ago, probably about the coffee industry. And they were talking about like how, you know, you're kind of, you're in a very limited, like small space in in the coffee world, you would think, right? Like you have coffee beans, you can roast them any certain way, but like how different is it really going to taste? Like that, that comes into play too. The terroir, like Mexican coffee beans, uh, first like Kenyan coffee beans and fermentation fermentation. There's a lot of things that you can change in that process to make a difference. And the article was saying, um, that if you are just looking within your industry, like, so if you're a coffee producer and you're only looking at what other coffee producers or manufacturers are doing, you're never going to innovate. You can only emulate because you're behind someone else's idea already. You have to look outside of your industry to evolve and like really make impactful, innovative change. And so like that resonated with me and um, it kind of in a weird backwards way comes back to the local hops <laughs> yeah, yeah, in particular. Yeah. So it's like because of all of the stuff that we just talked about, it's like the style of like bitter kind of like old school flavor of beer is coming back into fashion. And then you also add in the fact that like hops grown in Vermont are discernibly different. There's a lot, a lot of wiggle room there. And like being able to change someone's perspective of what this hop might taste like, or like what this style of beer is by putting your own innovative twist on it, then like that is what is important. And that's the value added part. That's what justifies paying more money for something grown in Vermont that might not be as sexy or like, you know, in other people's minds as good as some of the other stuff you can buy. But like, if you really can manipulate that to work for what you're doing and then be able to tell that story and sell it, and then create an advocate for what you're doing. Have your consumer, your customer walk out the door and be like, holy shit, I had this beer that was made with all Vermont grown centennial. And it was like this fla- like crazy flavor profile that I'm about to fucking tell everyone about. That is the most valuable thing you could fucking do. Because an advocate, the person that you just won over, is the best marketing you could possibly buy. In fact, you're getting paid for it. You're not even buying it. So yeah. like that's the just the best marketing you could have as a business, uh, the unpaid for advocate, and um, so like I think that I do think that it's kind of a crutch to say like I don't use anything from Vermont because it's not up to my quality of my standard of uh, quality, but like I understand it. I think that um, if anything, that's bad on them, yeah. like and maybe not even bad on them, but like it's good for us. It's good for people that will always want to change and evolve and support the community and all of the stuff involved, everything in between. Yeah. As long as you can tell that story and justify it and, and actually use it in a, in a positive way. Yeah, I agree. All right. Well, we're an hour and 45 in this. Oh, damn. (laughs) That's crazy. (laughs) I got to use the restroom. And uh, I was going to say, let's take a break, but I feel like we're going to continue this again. And so we'll leave it for later. Yeah, totally. But um, I'm stoked to sit down and have this conversation with you. It's meaningful to me. It's meaningful the work you guys are doing. Um, And uh, it's meaningful to have uh, another person who has a similar outlook 
as mine, but like push back. I love the pushback. I love your, your perspective about, um, to me, you guys are really a, to me, you guys are really an example of how you can really make a local product, turn a local product into a community. Um, it's beautiful what you guys are building and I'm just excited for you guys to keep building. Um, I think everyone knows where to find you. That's how I usually sign off. But, um, but yeah, brother, I appreciate you. We'll do it again soon. Let's keep building and, uh, let us know. Is there anything, anything hot and new coming out? What do we got in, in 2023? Oh man, I, there's always so much going on. So many <laughs> irons in the fire and that good, that's like the compartmentalizing thing. It's like, I think that that's what key, at least for me, like keeps me driving forward. It's like what the next project is going to be. And it's all intertwined like in a romantic way, you know, yeah. um, now, and it's like, I guess, uh, what new is coming out is, uh, whatever the next beer is we're putting on draft down to film, come on out for the show, come out for the beer, uh, maybe, uh, get off the couch and stop watching the TV. Stop looking at your screen on your phone. Talk to somebody like okay. share an idea, like communicate, just like be out in the world and like, enjoy the moment, like really take it in. Uh, and, uh, I think that's uh, that's what I'm excited for, and that's what I'm excited to keep grinding forward with and trying to uh, promote. I guess is like the amazing people in our community. Meet meet some of them <laughs> and uh, tell their story as well. Um, but uh, I mean, we have all of the natural hack, the the wine projects that we have going on right now. Um, yeah, natural hack and house of fermentology. House of fermentology. Those are really beautiful projects that we're definitely going to have to do entirely another podcast, yeah, totally. invite Todd down to have a talk. And then also, um, I did want, you know, uh, <clears throat> you guys have already been producing this product, uh, tonic with CBD. Mm -hmm. Um, but you guys are getting into the, the THC game now, which is exploding. And I think it's one of the most beautiful product products. How do we find tonic? Um, the, uh, CBD Instagram. Yeah. Oh is... yeah. We're on, we're on Instagram and Facebook. We have a oh, website, drink tonic vt.com. Cool. And um, foam is foambrewers.com. Foambrewers.com. Yep. So you can find out everything about Natural Hack. Yep. All of that stuff is on foambrewers.com and yeah, Instagram, Facebook, all that and stuff. And fried chicken, baby, monthly. Yeah, yeah. All right, brother. Blessings. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you, Travis. We'll do it again it's soon. It's been fun. Can't Later. believe it's an hour and 45. <laughs> Happens often with us. That's insane.